thank you. Forgive us for the times where we don't trust you. Forgive us for the times where we don't believe you. Forgive us for the times where we try to take it back from you because maybe we could do something better. Or maybe we think that you're not going to do what we want you to do. And so we just try to hold on to whatever is in front of us. God, I pray that we can be released from any sort of control or any sort of worry over our circumstances. Because you are the God of faithful promise, of enduring love, of enduring sovereignty, of enduring goodness. And we thank you, Father. Thank you. Your kids say thank you. And we pray these in the name of your son. Amen. You may be seated. So just so you understand, Megan and I have a distinct advantage over you guys that we know what the sermon's about. And so when she's singing that song and it's clearly impacting her heart as a worshiper, not just as a worship leader and mine too as a pastor, it's because we know that today we're talking about <clears throat> waiting in Egypt. <clears throat> We're continuing with our series on the life of Joseph. We call it Surviving Egypt. <clears throat> For those of you that haven't been here enough or haven't been here before, Surviving Egypt, Egypt is a metaphor for the world around us today. And we've been going through the life of Joseph and taking lessons from Joseph's life <clears throat> and applying to us as we try to survive what is Egypt today, the world today. And that song was so good during rehearsal. I just said, Megan, that song is perfect for the sermon. I said, you're going to have to do it twice. <laughs> so just giving you a heads up. So we're going to do it again. But at the end, you'll understand why it was so powerful for her during the worship set, because I believe it's going to be just as powerful for you at the end. We're talking about waiting in Egypt. So now I know I've been dragging this part of the story of Joseph out for several weeks. Come on, Pastor Joe, get to the good part where he's running the show where he's running Egypt and things are good and he has a chance to really, you know, bring revenge on his brothers, but doesn't get to all that good part. But <clears throat> if you'll pardon me while I take my time, there's so much that we need to learn about surviving in Egypt before we get to the part where Joseph is running things. Now, we're talking about waiting. This may come as a huge shock to many of you as a surprise, but I hate waiting. And I've kind of defined waiting in my life as not getting what I want because someone or something is impeding my path. Whether it's driving or dinner or the DMV. Oh, my gosh. Waiting at the DMV, the doctor's office. Oh, just think of all the places you hate to wait the most. That's Egypt. So there's one example. You can ask my wife about this or just take my word for it either way. So we're out to dinner, right? And we get seated and we get an order. Then somebody comes and sits next to us after our order's taken. And they get their food. I'm running low on Diet Coke. The water's been refilled. I fidgeted with my napkin. Then another table gets our food and suddenly... I can't explain it, but I am overcome with unexplainable panic. It's not like, oh, you know, the order's a little... T I start, they, honey, they've forgotten about us. They don't know that we're here. We're going to be here for days. We're never... <clears throat> I don't know what to do. 
And so I project out the worst case scenarios. I'm waiting for dinner as other people are getting served. And I realize if I don't remind them, we're never getting out of here. So I start, she sees it. She sees it in my eyes. I don't have to say anything. I start looking around. She goes, relax. No, no, they've forgotten. They've got the food. I see. No, no, you don't see. They, and it's delicious. Look what they've got there. It's fantastic. <laughs> but she makes me stop and be quiet. And I, thankfully, because I can tell you every time it's worked out. <laughs> Except for maybe once, maybe, you know. But we've gotten our dinner every time. Um, but see, a huge part of living in Egypt is just waiting. And everything about waiting in Egypt goes against human nature. What are you doing tomorrow? Oh, I'm excited. I get to wait. <laughs> I love waiting. It's so much fun. Every time I do it, selfies on Facebook, waiting. <laughs> right? Well, think about the idea of waiting for justice. In a place that, frankly, you see no evidence it's ever going to come. Whatever your perspective is on justice, whatever it may be. And it gets even worse. Think about the idea of waiting for justice or hope of anything. And after the wait is over, you know there will be nothing. You're waiting for nothing. You're waiting. But there's nothing to hope for in the waiting. What are you waiting for? I don't know. I just, I'm waiting. But what if, and try to track with me here, what if Christians, followers of Jesus, could transform waiting into something different? Something better. What if waiting was actually something children of God could passionately embrace as a purpose, as a duty, as a sacred calling. What if, track with me, what if waiting is supposed to be more hopeful and more of a fully satisfying experience than what Egypt has to offer? What if waiting is part of what makes salvation so joyful? And part, the waiting, part of what makes walking with God so satisfying and rich day by day, even as Egypt wars against our joy. The passage today is Genesis 41, 9 to 16. So remember, Pharaoh's had his dreams. Nobody could interpret them. He's searching for answers. And finally, after two years, the cupbearer that Joseph did that great favor for says to Pharaoh, I remember my mistake or my offenses today when Pharaoh was angry with his servants and he put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. We both dreamed on the same night, he and I each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard, and we told him, and he interpreted our dreams to us, giving us an interpretation to each man according to his dream. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said, Joseph, I had a dream. 
and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said that you, when you hear a dream, can interpret it. And Joseph's first words, Joseph answers Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. It's an amazing thing. We're just going to pick this apart historically for just a few minutes. Okay, first of all, obviously, finally, after two years of waiting, day after day, knowing that the cupbearer who promised that he would tell Pharaoh about him, two years later, he finally, by convenience, remembers it. Certainly, after two years, Joseph had lost hope, not in God, but in the cupbearer. Well, this guy's not going to do what he said. He's not going to get me out of this jail that I'm being held in unjustly. Day after day, we can assume Joseph had finally emotionally, spiritually moved on from the cupbearer. Perhaps Joseph had come to the point in prison that he accepted his lot in life. I'm going to spend the rest of my life as a falsely accused rapist here in an Egyptian jail. But if I'm going to be a prisoner, I'm going to be the best prisoner God ever had. He would be the very best second in command that any Egyptian jail had ever seen. And he would remain faithful. And we talked about this a few weeks ago. He would remain faithful. Why? Because that's what God's children do. And if God wanted him to serve prisoners and a jail warden the rest of his life, then so be it. He was not going to become a bitter, angry slave to waiting. He just can't turn his back on God. It's not in his nature. And it's not because Joseph was such a great man. It's because God had intervened in Joseph's life and given him the supernatural gift of faith. Bottom line is, even though the cupbearer forgot me, and even though I'm going on three to possibly seven years in this prison for a crime I did not commit, I will serve my God. I will make waiting my calling. And but then suddenly something happens. The cupbearer remembers that Joseph is waiting in jail. He sees finally, the cupbearer does, the benefits of remembering Joseph to Pharaoh, right? Pharaoh's looking for someone to help him with this idea of this dream. And the cupbearer says, oh, yeah, that Jewish guy in prison, he was pretty good at, you know, interpreting my dreams. I'll look like a hero if I mention him to Pharaoh. When Pharaoh meets Joseph, he's going to be surprised. All of a sudden, two years, he's been waiting, hoping Trusting God. And the scripture says he's pulled out of the pit, jail, immediately. Suddenly he leaves prison for good, never to go back. I often wonder, as I read this story this week, what Joseph was in the middle of doing when they came and got him. You know what I'm saying? Like it was probably his normal daily tasks. Maybe he was cleaning something. Maybe he was going over some administrative stuff in the jail. I don't know. He was second in command in the prison. The, the, uh, the chief jailer there really trusted Joseph. He was, he was well thought of and he liked him and he'd given Joseph all this responsibility. I wonder what Joseph was doing the moment God told him to get out of jail. <clears throat> he was probably, we know Joseph by now, 
faithfully executing what God had called him to do while he's waiting for redemption, while he's waiting for justice. Don't underestimate how hard it was because the passage also tells us that waiting in Egypt had taken a toll on Joseph physically. As a matter of fact, he was completely unpresentable and needed to be shaved and cleaned up and put into new clothing. Look, Pharaoh wants to see you, but you cannot go in there looking like that. So the jail, the wait in the prison was not like Club Med. It was hard. It was hard on him. And he needs to be made presentable before he sees the king. And then finally, Joseph, after all these years of being sold into slavery, falsely accused of rape, suffering in jail, doing this thing for the cupbearer, and the cupbearer letting him down. Finally, Joseph meets Pharaoh. And immediately upon meeting the king, Pharaoh jumps right to the point. Hey, Joseph, by the way, I'm sorry about your accusation. Yo, that's whack, dude. We didn't. That, sorry that happened that way. No, Joseph is sitting there. Pharaoh doesn't do any niceties. He just says, hey, I hear you're good at dream stuff. I got a dream and I hear you're really good at it. Can you help me? Joseph's first words out of prison after two years of waiting, waiting that supernaturally or naturally speaking would have left any one of us probably bitter and angry, resentful had it not been for an intervention of God in our heart. The first words he says are about his God. Two years waiting. And the first thing he says is, no, Pharaoh, it's not me who can give you the interpretation, but my God, my God can. This is such an amazing circumstance. He meets this king that has the power to change his life. He doesn't worship the king. He worships the king of kings. No bitterness. No panic. Yeah, well, yeah, I can. But, you know, your cupbearer could have told you that two years ago, King. He didn't say a word. And let me tell you something else. The, uh, the captain of your guard, his wife, she's the one that put me in there. And I should have never been there in the first place. Let me unload on you, King. Let me tell you what's been going on in my life for two years. I'm sick of it. You better know this is not fair. It's not right. I am entitled for you to listen to me. I'm going to have a complaining session here. No, that's not what he does. There's no bitterness, no panic, but he comes to the king with the same calm, steady faith in God that he had while he was in prison. How is this possible? How is Joseph able to be this rock after all he had been through? It is not natural. It is not human. That's the history of the passage. You got a picture. Let's talk about the spiritual. What about God? What does he do and why and how does he do it? I want to talk about waiting on God. First of all, I want you to see that Joseph and we, we are called to wait. That doesn't sound very good, I know. But for God's purposes, for God's purpose, Joseph absolutely had to wait in Egypt. God had greater plans than Joseph may have wanted Joseph would have been content with just going back to his homeland and tending after the sheep that his father had left him and be cleared of this false charge. He would have been fine with that probably two years earlier. But the fact of the matter is, Joseph had to be 
in that place for that time so God would use him to save not only his own family, the ones who had betrayed him, but also to save Egypt, the country that had imprisoned him. And ultimately, he had to be there for those two years to secure, get this, our salvation. Imagine, let me explain, imagine if Joseph had not been willing to wait faithfully, patiently in Egypt, fully committed to his God. What would become of God's chosen people? They would have died off in the famine. What would have happened to the line of our Savior Jesus? There would have been no King David. There would have been no Joseph and Mary. Our salvation, our worship time this morning, our meeting here today is directly connected and tied to Joseph being called to wait in a prison for two years. His faithful waiting in that Egyptian prison, we are reaping at this moment as we are connected to our heavenly dad through the work of Christ on the cross. We are reaping the benefits of that right now. Do you see that? That's why he was called to wait. And frankly, that's why we are called to wait. More on this later. So what is exactly is it are we waiting for? Let me read this passage to you, or this uh, quote from Matthew Henry. If the chief butler had first used his interest for Joseph's enlargement and had obtained it, it's probable that upon his release, Joseph would have gone back to the land of the Hebrews again, and, and then he would neither have been so blessed himself nor such a blessing to his family as afterwards he proved. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? I want to talk about what it is we wait for and, and why. This passage here in Luke 12. This is going to, if you really, you got to think deep here, okay? You got to really track with me, but this is, this is fascinating because what you're going to learn here, not only are we waiting, our Savior is waiting. Watch this. Luke 12, 35 to 30, 37. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. Be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service. In other words, he will become a servant and have them recline at the table and he will wait on them. What? So what's happening right now as we wait and stay prepared, our Savior is waiting so that he can serve us in heaven for eternity. What are we waiting for? We're waiting for this miraculous moment, that time when God's children who've been given the gift of faith, who are being called to wait and endure suffering in Egypt. We're waiting, we're hoping, we're trying to stay faithful, we're working hard. Egypt is burdening us with all these pains and heartbreaks and all those things that are going on. As we speak, our Savior is waiting for that moment where we come face to face and he says, I'm so glad you're here. Let me serve you. Even our Savior is waiting. He is waiting in expectation of his reunion with us, his beloved church, and the thrill he will get to serve us 
Wow. Puts a new perspective on waiting in Egypt, doesn't it? Look, I know it's hard, but I'm going to be with you one day and it's going to be so worth it. That's pretty deep. Now let's talk about the theological or personal, sorry. What about us? What are we supposed to do? I want to talk about waiting with a purpose. So this was the social media thing for this week. For God's children, waiting in Egypt is our sacred honor duty within God's transcendent plan of redemption. There's so much at stake. There's so much going on behind the scenes as we wait in Egypt. Joseph had no idea that because of his waiting, there would be a Grace Life Sarasota in downtown meeting at a comedy club on Sunday mornings in 2016 going forward, hopefully. But it is directly tied to that. Joseph's waiting was a sacred honor duty within God's transcendent plan for redemption for his whole church. But this waiting that we're talking about, this waiting in Egypt, does not mean that we are just sitting around doing nothing. What are you doing? Just waiting. That's not the kind of waiting we do as children of God. So I want to outline what waiting can be. Like in its essence, it's kind of horrible. But what waiting can be, the first thing I want you to see is waiting can be hopeful. I love this verse in Micah. One of the least read books in the Bible. It's worth reading just for verse 7 and chapter 7 right there. But watch this. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. See, there's, there's two types of hope in this world. There's the, there's the hope that the world has without faith that says, boy, wouldn't it be great if... Boy, wouldn't it be great if this would happen? Or wouldn't it be great if this could take place? Boy, I hope this would be, wouldn't this just be fantastic? But then there's a different kind of hope that God's children can embrace. And that hope is instead of wouldn't it be great if, it's just you wait when. Completely different. But imagine living life without hope for redemption. Resurrection. Eternal life. Being reunited with loved ones we've lost. Imagine waiting in Egypt with no expectation of triumph, of righteousness over justice. It's a life of waiting for the inevitable, an end that separates us from those who love, from those who we love, and God forever. That's waiting without faith. You see, it's not the waiting that's the torture. It's waiting without hope that sucks the life out of us. But as faith brings hope, waiting is miraculously transformed into watching with diligent expectation of what is going to happen next. Now you know why that song is so good. It means... Frankly, when waiting becomes hopeful, it means there is something coming that you fully expect. This is what life without the gift of faith, without Jesus, really boils down to. All the dark things. But when you have life with the gift of faith, 
and waiting becomes hopeful. This is the reason that Joseph could wait two more years in faithfulness because he was living in expectation. And because he was living in expectation, he didn't know whether the expectation was earthly or, or eternal. That was up to, for debate. But he embraced each day as an opportunity to trust and serve his God he knew would redeem and deliver him at some point, somehow, some way, somewhere. He knew it was going to happen. Even if it wasn't in this life, he knew it would come in the next. This is how God intends us, his children, to wait in Egypt. Waiting with tremendous, inspirational, confident hope. But you know what else faith can do to waiting? It can make it beneficial. Isaiah 55, 9. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. It's very hard for us to see past our personal, inconvenient, Difficult, frankly, even painful consequences of waiting in Egypt. It's very difficult. Humanly speaking, frankly, it's impossible to understand all the ramifications that our suffering as we wait has in the grand view of God's plan. Joseph couldn't see it. But the fact is, there are many now and in the future that may desperately need the benefits of our waiting in Egypt far more than our temporary hardship it may bring us. In fact, it is probable, listen, that their very survival may hinge upon it as ours did with Joseph. Along with his family and frankly a whole empire called Egypt. It's a life of living in each fleeting moment, chasing an elusive goal of fulfillment, happiness and satisfaction, or a life understanding there's a far greater purpose to my waiting in Egypt than just sitting here being inconvenienced. But you know what else waiting can be when the gift of faith is applied? I know this, Joe, that's ridiculous. I'm almost embarrassed to read it, right? But waiting can be satisfying. <laughs> Psalm 107, 9, for he satisfies the longing. The Hebrew word means waiting. Whoa. How about that one? Boom. He satisfies the waiting soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Man, that's a good one, ain't it? Psalm 17, 15, as for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. We won't say what we do when we are waiting for horrible drivers on Tamiami to get out of our way. You know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, am I the only one that gives them that look of disdain as you pass them? They're going 30 and a 45... He didn't even graduate high school. Just, uh, look at this thing. Finally, our, our wait is over on 41, and we get past it, and it's like, so glad that's over. It's so different when we are waiting with hope and expectation. When God's plan is finally fulfilled, 
we won't say, well, it's about time, God. Jeez, what took you so long? It's been ridiculous down here. That's not how we're going to respond. When our, listen, when our waiting is complete and we see our Jesus face to face, we will run to embrace the one we have been waiting for all along. We're going to trip over ourselves with joy trying to get to his feet first. No me first. No me. No me. We'll have to wait. No, I'm just kidding. We won't. There's a line. (laughs) We will have no words of discontent. We will only have words of complete adoration and total blissful satisfaction for God's grand plan of redemption. We will be amazed by it. We will be shocked by it. We will be stunned by it. We will be completely satisfied by it. It'll make waiting such, in hindsight, a sweet price to pay. I am so glad I waited for this. I love this verse. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Here's the idea. Get this picture of waiting. They are new every morning because we need them every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope. Waiting is hopeful. I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. It is satisfying to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait Quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Wow. This passage in Lamentations is written from a book written about how hard waiting can be. Did you know that? I mean, Lamentations. It doesn't mean smiley emojis. It means, man, this is hard. I'm lamenting over it. But right smack in the middle of it, It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And this passage does a great job of picturing and and drawing for us the day-to-day struggle. With each morning comes new, blessed, intimate interaction with the God who has made our waiting hopeful. This, church, is how God's children wait in Egypt. No matter the circumstances, each day can be a new understanding of God's mercy, God's faithfulness, a subtle, sometimes less subtle, sometimes more reminder of where our hope really is. And it ain't in waiting for Egypt. Egypt ain't coming through. But our God is. The gift of faith reminds us day by day. That our hope is in our God. And this is what enables us to wait quietly. And the word quietly, the Hebrew word actually means obediently. Not rebelliously. Not in bitterness. But obediently on the Lord to carry out his grand plan. And when he does, when it all comes together, and just like Joseph, we finally come face to face with the king for the first time. That day will be so amazing 
so sweet, so satisfying, so fulfilling. And we, we will say to our Jesus, man, this was worth the wait. Heavenly Dad, we thank you so much that you can make our waiting a calling, a duty, a responsibility, a privilege, a transforming action that we do with you day by day as mercies are renewed every morning and we quietly in obedience wait for our salvation in you. We pray that people in our church who are struggling right now as we wait in Egypt, going through hard times, going through difficulties, we pray that your mercies would be new every morning, that they would see that the soul is satisfied not by what Egypt has to offer, but what you will bring to fruition when your grand plan of redemption is completed. But until then, Dad, until then, we are going to be the best waiters we could ever be. Oh, God's children said.